the majority of people feel that way. The truth is, we were all sold this great lie that being part of a silent majority was something we should be proud of. Being a silent majority allowed a very loud, angry group of people to control everything. And problem there is, that small group of people, they're communists. I say that myself as someone who's the son of a Cuban refugee who had to flee communism. I know the reality of how important the American dream is. I know how quickly we can lose freedom. And that's why this is our last stand. I'm your host, Robbie Starbuck, and I'm going to be diving deep on the issues and people that matter so that together we can save the American dream and once again become a loud majority that steers the direction of this country. If you're with me and you want to spread truth and wake up the masses, you're in the right place. Together, one piece of truth at a time, we can save America. Hey guys, so this is just kind of an emergency show. We're not doing the regular live shows until later this week. Um, and then we've got an FBI whistleblower show coming out. Uh, we filmed recently. It's going to kind of expose a lot of stuff going on there. But I wanted to hop on real quick because we've all been following what's going on in this house speaker race. And I've got a lot of questions in my DMs. I figured easier to get on and just talk to you guys about what's going on. If you have any questions, if you're on Facebook, go ahead and, and send them in. I'll be able to see them over here. I'll check Twitter in my replies right now. So if you're on Twitter, go ahead and respond on the tweet where the live is. And I will go ahead and, and answer those questions. But just in general, here's what I'm hearing. Because I'm talking to members I'm on both sides of this. Some people who are voting for McCarthy, some who are not and talking to aides and people like that. So basically here's here's where we're at. McCarthy just lost again in the sixth round. Okay, nothing changed from the fifth to the sixth. I did think that two people were going to flip in the sixth round that did not yet. I think they will in the following rounds. I think that there's still some discussions happening around that. In terms of viable speaker picks, okay, so here's some of the things I've heard. That if McCarthy does step aside, he's going to want Scalise but Scalise can't get to 218. So that's a problem. Scalise isn't going to be able to get there. Jim Jordan can and does have the amount of votes from everything that I've heard. However, Jim has been very you know, reticent to, to jump in and want to do that. And so I think for some reason, he's very loyal to McCarthy and doesn't want to go jump out there and do this. If McCarthy, however, stood aside, it's very possible at that point, Jim Jordan jumps in, in which case, I would say it's probably a pretty good bet that he would go ahead and take it. However, there's these these sort of dark horse candidates that I would throw out there still. Byron Donalds, um, I think that he you know is a historic candidate in a lot of ways, obviously, because he'd be the first black speaker of the House. He's Republican, and that sends a message to the Democrats that they're not going to be able to play some of the games they've played in previous years, pulling some stuff that I feel like Byron would be able to disarm. Byron's well-liked by the base. Um, he doesn't have the huge national profile a lot of the other people have, but he's very well-liked by the base. He's been pretty consistent, and I would say, you know, definitely far to the right of McCarthy. So no question there. However, um, if it's not him, you know, somebody like Chip Roy could be drafted. Um, Chip is just fantastic on the issues. I mean, he's a really great guy. He's well-liked in Congress, and I think the base loves him. Those are, I put up a poll earlier. Those are the two top vote-getters. In fact, Chip is in, in first place right now, I think. Um, but, you know, when you look at this, I would say when you get to this number of votes, you've really got to ask yourself the question, what are you doing? Because we're at a stalemate here. You're not gaining votes. You've only lost votes. 
Okay. But now we're at a stalemate because we had the same, same result in the sixth round and the fifth round. And it's really a question of what is he going to do? Because here's what I'm afraid of. And I think a lot of people are somewhat afraid of. However, I think that we can get past it. And it's that if McCarthy decides he really wants to be speaker, he could cut a deal with Democrats. And if he cut a deal with Democrats, they don't even need to necessarily vote for him. They could just not show up. So if he gets a number of them to just not show up, he can actually win with less than the 218. And so if that's the case, and he were to pull something like that off, you know, I think Republicans on the floor would have to decide split second to not go and stick with him. And they would have to go make another choice because I, I just don't think you can do that. I think every Republican there would then have to ask the question, how am I going to go home and explain this to my voters that I just voted for a guy who just did a deal with Democrats to essentially tell the base of our party, we don't care enough about you or like you enough to do a deal with you. We'd rather deal with Democrats than the base. Because honestly, you know, I've looked at everything that they're asking for from the holdouts. And every, every major thing that they're asking for is not that crazy. And I especially am a big, big advocate of getting the funding for the church committee and having the church committee be really aggressive, okay? That's something that I think has to happen because that's how we exposed all the intelligence agencies previously in the past. And I think a committee that is really just laser focused on exposing these intelligence um, agencies and, and really making it very clear how partisan they've become I think that's something America needs that doesn't just want, but needs right now. And I think those, those are the questions we've got to ask ourselves is what are our needs? What are our wants? And I honestly think their list of demands is very reasonable. And these are things that, you know, if you walk around, you know, I, I always say things should pass a common sense test. If you go out on the street and ask people, Hey, does this sound like a good idea to you? The ideas that they're pushing for are ideas that normal people can get behind. You know, um, one being that, you know, members should have the ability to, to go and get together and say, you know, what, we're unhappy with the speaker and go to a vote and be able to vote the speaker out very easily. Uh, they should be able to make motions very easily. And so I think there's there's a lot of things that they're pushing for that we've just got to have a little bit more common sense about and, and say, OK, these are not crazy things. And. If we can get to that point and stop, you know, turning this into a political football game where they're all just trashing each other on personal deals and get to really the meat and bones of this, what are they asking for? And is it reasonable? I think you quickly realize that these are very reasonable asks and these are things that we should just come together and make a deal on. The fact that he's been unwilling to make a deal with them is what's most concerning to me. When this all started, I figure, you know, he's a very politically adept person, I figured, you know, he's going to try to hold out a little bit here and then make a deal. Um, however, he seems like he does not want to make a deal. And the things I've heard in terms of conversations that have been had are not good. They're, they're not something that give me a whole lot of faith in terms of him ever coming to the table and making a deal. And it does worry me. I've seen these reports of him going to make a deal with Democrats. And I know some people were watching yesterday and saw that Matt Gates went over and talked to AOC and that Paul Gosar went over to talk to AOC and people were like, why are they talking to her? Well, it was, it was very simple. They were trying to figure out, are, are you guys actually working with McCarthy? Because they had heard a rumor that there was you know, a deal being struck between Democrats and McCarthy. And uh, that was not the case at the time. 
at least according to the, the people I've talked to. And we'll see now. I mean, the Democrats are definitely in a position where I think they're enjoying all of this because, I mean, they love us fighting with each other instead of going after our mutual enemy, which should be the far left. And, and I think you can really ascribe that to the whole Democratic Party at this point. It's not just one sliver of people. It's the entire party at this point has adopted a very radical platform. And so, you know, the other, other angle of this is, is President Trump. Okay, President Trump came out and endorsed Kevin McCarthy last night. And I'll be honest, um, I, I was disappointed by it um, because I think this is a fight he would have been better off staying out of. And I'm not sure why he got involved in it, because if we're being perfectly honest, uh, McCarthy, I mean, he's a great fundraiser, but the dude would have thrown President Trump under the bus the first chance that he possibly could have and replaced him with somebody else. If we're just being totally honest here, okay, he would have. Um, he took out America First candidates all over the country in different races because he didn't want them in Congress being a problem like these holdouts are. And I think that says a lot. So I'm disappointed that Trump chimed in the way that he did to support McCarthy because I think we should let the representatives, the people elected, work this out. And I do think this is something we should have tried to do in conference. I would have liked for the fight to be in private, because I think anytime you take it public and you give the Democrats this joy of having us fight it out um, on the floor, it's not always the best thing for the party. However, if certain people within the party essentially force you into that position where they're not willing to, to agree to very reasonable things, you don't really have a choice but to take it to the public and to go have this fight on the floor that they're having now. So I do think the holdouts, you know, um, are are people that deserve to be commended for having the courage of their convictions because they are being pressed from all different sides. And I know that there's very real fear that if, you know, if McCarthy did make that deal where the Democrats don't show up and he ends up winning, then, you know, you're talking about all those holdouts being punished, um, not getting committee assignments, you know, basically being treated like members of Congress in name only is, is the best way I could put it. And so, um, you know, the other thing I think that we've got to really push on is, is why on a budget level, this is one of the things that bothers me, and this is kind of getting into the weeds on it, but on a budget level, we've allowed Democrats to control our budgets now for the past couple cycles. Why would we even think about negotiating with them? Because that's going to be the first thing they ask for, is they're going to want to control the next budget. And we just let them control this budget when we didn't have to. And that's the Republican Senate who did that. But still, we essentially allowed this. And so why are we allowing a very radical party to get control of the budgets? And why would we ever even consider that? And that, that is what gave me the most pause about the ability to make the deal. Because here's the deal. If McCarthy was able to pull off making a deal everybody was happy with there, I think that actually would have been a good test of his ability to be a good speaker. It would have tested that ability and shown, look, I can go and make everybody in our party happy by getting things that they need and want without there being friction. That is possible. You know, there's always going to be little things people fight over, but you can make people generally happy enough to get your majority vote that you need. However, his inability to do that makes me think that, you know, he's just not the guy for the job. And that's beyond my own personal politics. I'm just saying as somebody who would be looking from the outside in, 
I would say, you know, if you're not able to make this deal and get everybody on your side to the right place where they're happy with the terms, then maybe you're not the guy, you know, and I think that that's tough for him. And we might be experiencing this this long wait and a lot of votes. You know, I know we're going to a seventh vote. I would predict we're going to a lot more than that. Uh, because I think we're having to wait through him working out his own personal feelings about this, because I'll give him credit for a couple of things. He raised a ton of money. Okay. That's, that's something that, you know, speakers unfortunately have to do now. I, I think that we should work toward a future where that's not really their top job, but it really has kind of turned into that, which is very strange, but it comes with a lot of power as well. And so, you know, we've got to be really careful in this situation. And I think that, um, you know, my biggest fear is that situation where he goes and does a deal with the Democrats. And I think we have to be on our toes in that that case and make sure our representatives know in advance that if such a thing were to arise, that we expect them at the very least at that point to pull off and go support Byron Donalds or whoever goes and opposes uh, McCarthy, because we can't be doing deals with Democrats, period. And, um, you know, I'm looking now at the questions here. I'll pull them up. Anybody asking questions? Let's see what you got. Um, let's see here. So somebody asked who my my picks for speaker would be. Honestly, I, I really, I kind of put it out there. I, I think that Chip Roy would be fantastic um, because he's a man of conviction. He has very clear he has a very clear compass. That's the best way to put it. You know, I'm not going to say I agree with Chip 100% of the time, but I agree with the fact that he has a moral compass and a spine and will not back down. And I think that that's really the energy we need. You know, I would love to say, you know, a real firebrand that like is going to go and, and be exactly like me. But here's the reality is that all those people right now are expending a lot of political capital just to hold the line. And so I don't think it's possible to get them the votes necessary to, to get us to, to where we would need to be for them to be a speaker. However, I do think that Chip could get there. I think he could possibly get the amount of votes needed in the right situation. Um, and then Byron Donalds is a great second choice, I think. Um, and outside of that, you know, if you got to the situation where Jim Jordan ends up a viable possibility because McCarthy drops out, then I think he would have the votes. I have my misgivings about Jordan only because, you know, I, I feel like we all got really burned by Trey Gowdy. A lot of people were very excited about Trey Gowdy in a very similar way in terms of the investigative authority and sort of streak that he had and that he wanted to go after all these things, but ultimately came up empty. I mean, it seemed like it was a, a big, you know, dog and pony show in the end where nothing really happened, nobody was held accountable. And that's always kind of been my fear, if I'm just being perfectly honest, it, it's it's nothing against him. Um, I, I think on policy, he's at the right place. But that's always been my fear, is that, you know, how much of this is is real, how much of it is a show. And I do know, at least with Chip Roy, that it's it's 100% real. I mean, this is these are his convictions. He is going to fight. He is not going to back down. He's got a spine of steel. And that's why I love him. Um, I think he'd do a fantastic job. That's just me personally. He um, he probably doesn't want the job, <laughs> though, which is, I will say, one of the things I've heard from the holdouts is we need somebody who is reluctant to take the job, which is part of the reason a lot of them like Jim Jordan. And um, I do take I do take what they say and 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 believe that they really believe in him for a reason. And I don't know Jim, so um, I tend to sort of trust that they know what they're talking about. 
However, I know Chip and, um, you know, just that, that conviction is, is so important. And I think that sometimes the best leaders are reluctant leaders. They, they, they don't want to go and take the power. People who want the power scare me, you know, the people who, who are just always lusting for power. They always need more. They need the next position up. Those people scare me. And so, you know, I always try to stay away from those people in general because it's it's not just that they have big goals or something like that. There's there's this, especially in politics, this narcissistic sort of voracious appetite for power that leads them to mow over everything along the way, including their own previous values and morals. And I think that one of the things we lack so much is is really a spine in DC where people are holding the line to a set of morals and values that they truly believe in. And I think that's something that made our founders so special. I've been talking a lot about our founders lately because you think about it, people think of them, they think of these you know, guys with white hair and they think they were like 70 years old. A lot of these guys were you know, anywhere from 18 to their early 30s. And what made them so special was that they were not the compromising types. These were people who had the courage of their convictions. They were willing to die for it. You know, some of our founders, their homes were burnt down. They lost their wives and their children in the pursuit of freedom. They died themselves in the pursuit of freedom. And so it was that conviction that led them ultimately toward the promised land and the, the foundations of America. And really what gives us the ability to even fight for what we believe in today. Because had they not done what they did, the sacrifices they made, you'd have to just hope and dream that somebody along the way would have gone and made the sacrifice. And that's not a foregone conclusion. As we've seen in our own generation, previous generations, it's not always a foregone conclusion that people are going to be willing to sacrifice, um, nor that they're going to have the courage to do so, even if they were willing in the right scenario. And so, you know, that's something that... uh I, I think we need to get back to that energy. And that's my hope. You know, I, I do think if you look toward the future as well, here's what's going to happen. If McCarthy is able to manage to make a deal with Democrats and he has them not show up and he becomes speaker, the next year is going to be miserable. It's going to be miserable civil war within the party. And that's not something I want to see because I really think we need to be cohesive to, to go and win 2024, because the reality is we all have to work together to fix the problems in our elections to make 2024 winnable. Okay. If we don't do that and we're all fighting with each other and that's where our focus is, then 2024 becomes much more difficult. And I think that that's something that we all have to keep in mind. And that's why that's kind of been my, my biggest fear in this whole situation is you know, does that happen? Does he turn to them and make a deal? Because if he does, he's definitely giving up a lot. Way, I mean, anything is too much, but it would have to give up a lot to get them to do this. And if that scenario happened, it's going to be all out war within the conference and it's not going to stop and it's going to last until 2024, realistically. And that's not healthy for the party. It's not healthy for the country. And I would encourage... Um, you know, the folks involved, and, and I think, you know, hopefully some will watch. I would encourage them to think about that and think about, you know, really what is in service of a personal ego trip or a personal quest for power and what's in service of the country. 
because us fighting within the party for the next two years is not in service of the country. It's not in service of the party. It's not in service of anything, especially not the constituents who voted for everybody. That's not what they were voting for. They were voting to get away from the Democrats' policies. They were voting to go toward a future that was brighter and where the economy was not so depressed and where we had some semblance of the foundations of America again. And so I think that's something to keep in mind. Somebody brought up a good, a, a good uh, note here to bring up. You know, there's been multiple members, um, one of which is Dan Crenshaw down in Texas, who have just straight up said they are going to punish the people responsible, the holdouts, if they continue. Uh, and I think they were already at that point for not voting for McCarthy. They're going to punish them. So in, in what way do they expect those people to come to the table and negotiate if that's sort of your tactic is to say, we are going to punish you. And this, this is what we're going to do. You're not going to have committee assignments. This is going to happen. That's going to, of course, they're not going to come to the table and try to pull anything off to try to get a deal. McCarthy's going to have to go to them and he's going to have to, to, to try to make a deal. And that's what a leader should do. You know, if you're a leader and you're worthy of being speaker, you're going to be able to get a deal done. If you're not, you're not going to be able to get a deal done. And I think that that's, that's what we're seeing play out in this last vote is that, you know, nobody's budging. And ultimately, the person who budges is going to be someone with the, the qualities, I think, to, to go in and become leader. And that's not the case if they go and negotiate with Democrats, though. That's somebody who's essentially slapping our voters in the face. And I think we've got to be very honest and clear about that. Um, let's see here if there's any other questions on the on Twitter here. There's a lot of people who like Byron Donalds. I agree. I think he's um, he's a very hopeful figure and, uh, you know, seems to really have his head on straight. Um, and then over here, some people are asking about some stuff that, uh, you know, I think that I will say this. On some of the other social platforms, they're asking about investigations and stuff like that and how to be affected by who who ends up. You know, honestly, what I would say is that the thing that matters is what authority you give the members and what funding they have on certain things, like say the church committee that I brought up earlier, if they don't have funding to really go and do what is necessary and they don't have the ability to sue people the way they need to, and they don't have the ability to subpoena people the way they need to, then, you know, everything's a dog and pony show. And that's, that's what I will call out is if everything is just a dog and pony show, I'm going to lose my mind for the next two years. I'm going to be really honest with you guys because um, I, I'm just, I'm at the point where I'm sick of people making clips to fundraise. I don't know about you guys, but I'm sick of it. I'm sick of clips that like, oh, that sounds great. Now send me money. And that's it. And there's no follow-up, no real action, nobody held accountable. The mechanisms are there to hold people accountable. The mechani mechanisms are there to go after the deep state. They are there to go and tear things apart in the swamp. And if you don't do it, then I think voters are getting to a point where there's not very much forgiveness left. The economy is in a really rough spot. People are having a hard time. People are losing their jobs. A lot of people can't make ends meet, period. And when that's the case, their patience runs out. Okay, times are not like they were when Trump was in office. Things are not as rosy in the economy. And I think that some representatives have lost touch with how normal people live their lives and don't understand necessarily the lack of patience there is for this. We don't need dog and pony shows. So 
you know, ultimately, whoever ends up leader, we're going to need action. And I think that whoever ends up leader, one of the things the holdouts are calling for is that ability to essentially fire the speaker. We need that. That, that should be a non-negotiable in any deal that's made. It should be non-negotiable. We need the ability to fire the speaker very easily because if we don't have that, how can the people and the really strong representatives stand up to the machine that there is in D.C. and say, you know, we're not working for the people. We've got to fire the speaker and start over here. I think that's an important aspect of this. Um, Kathleen uh, on Facebook asked, why does McCarthy think he deserves the seat? You know, that's something I've, I've been asked before. Actually, I saw a DM with that question earlier. And, you know, I would say it comes down to the fundraising and uh, the work he did around the country. So just give you a little background. You know, McCarthy, I'm trying to call balls and strikes here. So this is not, you know, if I was just talking about my personal issues, I have some personal issues with McCarthy. I'm not, I'm not going to make it personal, though. I'm just I'm going to call balls and strikes. So to be perfectly honest, he went all over the country raising money. Okay. He raised a ton of money. And that's something that I think is probably his, his highest check mark is that, okay, he can raise a ton of money. However, the use of the money and strategy and recruiting left a lot to be desired because I think that, you know, it's one thing to have a preference in a primary. It's another thing to go and all out attack certain types of candidates. And that's that's what we essentially saw from him. And then when more populist America firsty type candidates won in a lot of primaries, um, they didn't have the help needed to finish those races off. You know, like a race we should not have lost would have been Joe Kent's up in Washington. And, um, you know, instead of us winning big there, and I think we should have at least won we lost the seat to a Democrat. This was a Republican seat that we lost in an election where Republicans, you know, we didn't have the giant red wave tsunami that that people wanted, but we should have won and held seats. You know, that 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 doesn't sound like a crazy expectation, but we lost a seat that wasn't redistricted. Okay, this was just a Republican seat. And yes, it was not a hyper red seat, but it was a red seat that had had a Republican in there for a couple terms. And it was, you know, I think plus three or plus four Republican. So we should not have lost it. The, the real problem was not enough money was spent in the race. And too many attacks were made on the candidate himself, Joe Kent, during the primary that came from allies of McCarthy. And so I think that, you know, there's a lot to be desired in, in that side of things. But I do think, you know, the RNC has a role to play in a lot of that stuff as well. So you could make an argument from his side, if I was, you know, being the pretending I was in his camp, I would say, oh, well, that's the RNC's job. I'm just me and I'm going to go and support the candidates I want and not ones that I don't want. Okay. I think that's not what a speaker should be doing in that scenario. But, um, you know, I'd say the RNC definitely has culpability there as well. And that's a separate conversation is replacing uh, Ronna Romney McDaniel because she has to be replaced. I mean, there's no question about that. She has got to be replaced. I've been a big supporter of Harmeet uh, Dillon. She's got to be the new RNC chair. And I think any of you guys, if you have not already, follow Scott Pressler on Twitter. He's been fantastic on the RNC race. He's got a website up there that you can click. Um, I wish I had the website in front of me right now so I could read it off to you guys. But it's on Scott Pressler's Twitter page and his other social media pages. 
where uh, it'll help you get in contact with the people from your state who are going to be voting in the RNC elections to let them know that you would like them to vote for Harmy Dillon. And you might be thinking, well, my email doesn't matter. My phone call doesn't matter. It does. Okay. We've seen RNC members go on Twitter afterwards after getting these calls and emails and say that because they're getting so many emails and phone calls telling them to vote this way, that they're going to do what the people are demanding. And so it does make a difference. And I would encourage everybody to do that. Another thing too, um, just a little housekeeping. So if you guys haven't seen the last episode of the show we did right before Christmas with the unvaccinated soldiers, it has gone all over the place and now has millions of views online. I'm so thankful to you guys for sharing it everywhere. But more than anything, more than being thankful that you guys are helping the show do so well, you got us up to, um, I think it was 12th place on the Apple iTunes charts for podcasts which is crazy. We're beating NBC, CNN, MSNBC, all the major media uh, you know, shows and stuff. It's nuts that that's the case. Just me sitting here in front of a camera talking to you guys. Um, but it's amazing. you know. And, and that show, really why it meant a lot to me, you guys shared it so much everywhere, was that those soldiers deserve a voice. And the media has ignored them. They've ignored their families. They've ignored the people who have been fired. They've ignored how those people's wives, you know, spouses, children have all been hurt by the unconstitutional vaccine mandate that was, was put in place. And so you guys sharing it meant so much to me. And it also meant so much to me that Patriot Mobile uh, sponsored that. They they helped pay for the the production of it and everything else. It's why it looks so good and it's so nice, that episode, where we were able to bring them all in together and shoot all, all at once. So Patriot Mobile, for those of you who don't know, I've talked a lot about this year being the year where my wife and I are very focused on a personal family level um, of separating from companies that hate us. You know, We don't want to give any more of our hard-earned money to companies that absolutely loathe our values. And so one of those, those areas for us was cell phone service. And I met the Patriot Mobile people at a couple different events and was always interested in what they were doing. And when I really dug into it and found out that they have the same service standards as all the major providers, I was like, I'm done. We've got to, there's no excuse not to. And so, you know, if you haven't done so, it's easy to change service. It's like you get to keep your phone number, all that stuff. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Starbuck. If you use that link, you're going to get free activation for all your phones. We've got to get away from these companies, though, um, that, that absolutely hate our values. They're woke companies that are part of this ESG agenda. And to be able to support a company that isn't just not one of those places that hates your values, but they actually are in alignment with you and they're putting their money where their mouth is. These people helped fund school board races across the country in this last election. So your money is going toward the things you care about and the things you love. It's a no brainer to me. So I feel like, you know, I I'm very picky and choosy. We've had a bunch of people to reach out, want to be sponsors on the show. And I've said no to pretty much everybody. And this was one where it's just absolute no brainer because this is how we replace these old legacy woke companies and create our own parallel economy is replace them one by one. And so throughout the year, I'm going to try to American, they're going to work hard and they're going to work in alignment with our values. Um, and that's something that's, that's very, very important to me, more important than, than I think a lot of other things that we talk about, because ultimately your economy underpins your culture and the more we can build our own economy, the more we build our own culture. And I think that's something we've got to be really, uh, really cognizant of. Let's see. Any other questions? Um, Hireharmeet.com. That's the website. Okay. So 
That's the website Scott, Scott Pressler built. Thank you for all of you who put it in the chat. Um, Hire Harmeet. That's H I R E H A R M E E T dot com. That's where you can email or call your your representatives um, who are going to be voting in the RNC race because it's it's essential they hear from the people. You've got to email. You've got to make those calls. They've got to hear from their voters. That is how we are going to flip this party away from people like Ronna Romney McDaniel and into the hands of people like my lawyer. Harmeet is actually my lawyer. So she, my lawyer would end up being the head of the RNC. That's pretty cool, right? And so I think that, um, you know, this is a very viable path for us. It's one of the more likely things we can actually flip. And it could be, it could be a real game changer. And so, um, you know, McCarthy really would like to see Rana uh, stay there at the RNC. And I think that that's something that no matter what happens in the House, I don't think should happen. I think that the base needs to be represented. And right now it's not represented very well at the RNC. If we're just being perfectly honest, it's not. The RNC never came out and said anything in my race when I was thrown off a ballot. And a lot of people had a big problem with that. And so I think that it, it will be very nice to just have representation uh, across the board at the RNC uh, for everybody within the party. And, and that's not to say, you know, oh, she would favor one side or the other side. She wouldn't. I think that she would be so fair to everybody involved in the party. And uh, that's why I believe in her is I think I think she would represent everybody truly. And I think that's important is that everybody within the party has a voice and representation and feels like, you know, we're able to get to that place. You know, what I think is so depressing about the speaker race is that the way it seems like people like us have been treated is that we're just these absolute, you know, radicals that cannot be reasoned with. And I think that's just so divorced from reality. You know, um, I've dealt with people on every side of the party. And to be honest, I think I think the more we drop that I, that sort of mentality, and this is me more speaking to people who are sort of squishier Republicans, and it's okay, you're you're a little squishy. Um, drop the idea that we're just these unreasonable people, and and you don't have to tell your friends at the country club this, but we're actually we're actually very reasonable people. We just we need to represent our voters. We need to represent our side. We need to actually get to the table and have a real conversation about our values as a party and take us in the right direction. Because right now we're holding on to stuff that doesn't exist anymore. You know, um, you, this has been something kind of frustrating for me is that you hear these people talk so much about different eras of our party and they keep reaching backward to these other places. Like, I'm sorry. I, I love some Reagan speeches. I really do some great speeches there, but we are not in the same times that they were in. You know, Reagan and Bush, none of these people were facing the mass automation of every industry in their country. They weren't facing the absolute gutting of every type of normal working class job in the country in the next, you know, 10, 15 years. They weren't facing that. They weren't facing an AI revolution that they were going to have to figure out how to be able to, to, you know, really unscramble on a million different levels. They, they weren't dealing with the same problems we're dealing with today. Technology was not even really a thought, okay? Some people, when Bush was president, thought the internet was going to fail, okay? Like, that's, that's where we were at. You know, Reagan, Reagan's era, they weren't even talking about the internet, okay? So we've got to get real with, we live in very extraordinary times with extraordinarily unique problems, 
And we've got to stop reaching for the past for solutions, hoping that our forefathers, you know, or somebody else is going to fix this for us. Because the truth is, if we want to have these problems fixed, we don't need our forefathers to fix it. We need the spirit of our forefathers. We need to have the same spirit and courage and conviction that they had to go and fight for what we believe in. And I'm not saying you have to go start a physical war or anything like that. I'm saying that you have to have that conviction to go and have a steel spine. You've got to be able to stand up for things. And I just don't see that happening. I see a whole lot of back scratching, back slapping, you know, really the dirty politics people don't like. And I, I think I'm going to leave it there. It's just people have had enough of those politics and they don't want to see it anymore. You know, I'm going to look, see if there's any other really good questions for I bounce out of here, but we'll have a great show later this week. Sorry, I'm scrolling through all this. We'll have a great show later this week. And then the FBI episode, it's with the editors now. Uh, we had a great whistleblower from the FBI. He um, is also working with members of Congress. So that should be, I think, probably early next week. I'll keep you guys in the loop on that. But um, thanks for joining. Just wanted to give you guys an update because I was, I was talking about this already with people. And I figured, why not just hop on and let everybody know. But thanks for joining. And we'll see what happens. This is crazy. I mean, it's wild. I really do. I hope the best for America. I'm going to pray for everybody involved. I think that's one of the things we could all do, no matter where you are on this. You might even be somebody who hates me. You're on the far left. Maybe, maybe take two seconds, pray for our country. Because at the end of all this, you know, we want our country to survive. At least, at least I hope you guys want our country to survive. I know I do. I want our country to survive. Sometimes I question if the other side really wants our country to survive. Um, you know, I, and there's definitely elements on the other side who do not want our country to survive. That's very clear. But I, I, you know, there's some of those average Democrat voters out there. You know, if if you're watching and you hate me, that's fine. But say a little prayer for our country because this this stuff it can go poorly really fast. And um, I hope that. I hope for the sake of the people that I love and the values that I fight for, that the right choices get made over the next 48 hours and that uh, people come to the table and, and we get a good speaker that's going to fight for the people and is going to fight for our country. And that's what really matters. But I know this whole situation is frustrating for everybody, but, you know, this is this is the craziness we live in. And we're going to keep fighting and, and we're not going to give up. You know, we're not going to give in to people like Dan Crenshaw. They can threaten us all day long. They can say that we're enemies. They can say we're going to be punished. Anything like, I mean, honestly, who says this stuff anyways? Like, he sounds like a, a communist, okay? You're enemies now. You're going to be punished. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So um, not taking that stuff too seriously. I hope you guys have a good night. Enjoy your families. I'll see you all later this week, okay?